0: Shalom, everyone. Is, uh, are we live now? Just making sure. All right. We are live and you're good to go. Okay. Well, Baruch Hashem. Uh, Shabbat Shalom ispuchah. uh, Welcome to our uh, online service today. Uh, but it's, it sounds as though this may be our last time that, uh, you know, we have any, uh, hopefully any situations that would come up that would cause us to uh, not be able to meet going forward. Uh, as you all know, we've, we've gotten some great news all this week, uh, and what a week, right? But Baruch Hashem, everything is a blessing, always. Uh, I can tell you just from the thought of having uh, less mosquitoes and insects this coming spring and summer, that's, that's good enough for me, uh, being here in Texas. So. Uh, but anyway, just uh, we're going to be getting hold of keys this week to the building. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of furniture over there so that we can get our uh, certificate of occupancy. Uh, you know, make it all official. Hopefully that'll happen this week as well. Uh, but uh, barring that, there should be no reason that we will all be meeting uh, this next uh, Shabbat. So, visit to Hashem, that will happen. Uh, to all those who we've been praying for all week, uh, I'm, I'm assuming everything is going well. And uh, please keep the Jones family in your prayer this week. Uh, and we know the reasons for that. So, uh, if not, just kind of reach out to someone. And uh, Elizabeth, uh, she's been keeping us posted. So, she will remind you of what's happening with her and uh, her husband and her family. So keep them in prayer. Okay, so let's open up with the uh, blessing of the Torah. Baruchata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kibshanu La Asuk la'asuch b'devri Torah, v'cha'yerev Na Adonai Eloheinu et devri toratecha, BeFinu ufi amecha beit Yisrael, veni heye enachnu, V'tzeh et zeinu v'tzeh ze'a amekha yisrael kulanu yodei shemekha v'lomedet torateka bishma Baru Kata adonai Hamela mer torah ale yisrael amen okay so parsha teruma uh you know I, I, I always uh i mean we know that the torah is rich with with uh, subject matter obviously but I always seem to uh, be blessed to get ones that are just full. <laughs> so Baruch Hashem on that. Uh, what I mean is I usually never get past like maybe the first verse or two and I find tons of uh, teaching there. Uh, so that's, that's as far as I'm going to get just into the verse, uh, first verse or two. But uh, Baruch Hashem uh, that uh, you know, I'll bring down enough uh, insights to uh, bless you this day. So let's start out. Uh, this will be Shemot twenty-five two. Speak to B'nai Israel and let them take a donation from each man whose heart motivates him. You shall take my donation. And so what I'm about to read from you is from uh, Rancha on the parasha. Uh, you know, it's another funny thing that I've noticed too that uh, I have different sets, but. I, I don't always get to them each week. So, and occasionally I'll pull down something and boom, that becomes my favorite set. So this right now currently is my favorite set of, of Humach. So it's it's amazing. So here we go. At the conclusion of Parsha Mishpatim, we read that B'nai Yisrael saw a vision of the glory of Hashem, like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain, Shemot 2417. This awesome vision placed a great fear in the hearts of B'nei Yisrael, and they despaired ever being able to withstand Hashem's divine presence residing within them. Parshat Teruma opens by explaining to B'nei Yisrael that they are mistaken, and Hashem's presence can in fact dwell amongst them. All they need do is properly prepare their hearts and receive it with love. Preparing their hearts to receive the divine presence in order for Hashem's attribute of chesed to be able to dwell in their midst requires each man giving with a motivated heart. Uh, Such a timely message. Y'all have seen those messages that Batya has put out this week, Baruch Hashem, and and the good news just continues to come. Uh, But the timing of Hashem, and I think I mentioned this the last uh, time I did the uh, drosh, uh, Hashem's timing is always perfect. It's supreme. It rules, right? So the timing to have a motivated heart to give for the building of our uh, Katan uh, and Mishkan. I mean, it's 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 amazing uh, what Hashem does. Continuing on, uh, we can point to another connection between the two parshiot by separating the letter Mem from the word Teruma and rearranging the order of the remaining letters to read Torah. We have an allusion to the Torah that was given to Moshe in 40 days. And I'm sure you all know, but just a reminder, the letter Mem, the Gematria is 40. So there's the connection there. But Israel made the deduction that if Moshe, who was so close to Hashem, needed to spend 40 days within a consuming fire, in order to learn the Torah from Hashem, how would it be possible for them to ever attain an understanding of the Torah? The Torah, therefore, writes that all they need do is prepare their hearts. Each man whose heart motivates him, you shall take my terumah. Teruma being a reference to the Torah. Uh, you know, so I, this was something that I also read this week. Uh, I, don't have the, uh, I don't have the book laid out in front of me. So I won't read from it, but uh, it was explaining on the different uh, pieces of, of furniture. And sometimes they use that word furniture to go into the to, into the Beit HaMikdash. But we'll say utensils, uh, the menorah specifically, uh, no one could could make it. Right. So Hashem had to make it himself for us. And that's what he did. But there's an illusion there to what I just read about B'nai Yisrael thinking that they could not, how could they possibly learn the Torah? Well, Hashem said the same when it came to the menorah, which is equivalent to our intellect. So there's no way our intellect can, uh, we weren't able to, to form the menorah out of a solid piece of gold with all its intricacies. So Hashem had to step in and help make that happen. Same way with us. When we're we're trying and we're doing our best to learn Torah and and learn all the different aspects and and facets of Torah, it's impossible for our intellect to do that without the help of Hashem. So we need to constantly be in in prayer about helping, uh, asking for his help to, to do that. Continuing on, giving that a person's possessions are an extension of him, When the shekinah resides upon the specific portion he donated, the shekinah is in effect residing within each member of B'nai Yisrael. This is alluded to in the words, this is the portion that you shall take from them. And it's asher t'ikhu me'atan. The first letters of each of the words, asher t'ikhu, ne'atan spells atan, with you. The teruma donations would allow the shekinah to rest with each of you. Now I find this uh, interesting because it, we know uh, from studying or practicing Judaism that we all have a place within the body. And, all, and each of us, and, and Emet has been bringing this down during his study of the, uh, reminding me of that book that we're in. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here on it, but he's he's given teachings on it for the last two weeks. And he's talked about the different uh, group of people that are made up of individuals. Uh, and we all play a part, we all play a role, uh, including the rush correct? So, But what's interesting to me about this part, about each of us giving from our possession, we each uh, go to work and we all do different types of, uh, we all have a different vocation, different trades, different skills, uh, different positions where we work. But yet we all put our life, our six days of the week into this time. And so when we take that and, and we use that that blessing that we get from Hashem to give back to Him, we're all giving a piece of us into the building of this the Mishkan uh, and and all its utensils. And so this is a very important time for us, Mishkan. Okay, so I am going to go with now. I am going to read from uh, Rabbi Monk. And he says this, from every man whose heart motivates him. Rashi, quoting the Talmud in Megillah 20 by 29b, observes that the word terumah, portion, thrice mentioned in this passage, alludes to three different types of offering, two of which were mandatory, and one of which was voluntary. The first was the mandatory bekha. I'm gonna come back to that word, becha of silver given by each person for making the silver sockets, which were the foundations of the tabernacle. The second, an identical amount, served for the purpose of the communal sacrifices. The third was used for the construction of the tabernacle itself. This contribution was left to each person's generosity. The first two offerings, which remained equal for both rich and poor alike, represented the material and spiritual foundation of the nation's existence. The offerings were made because the foundations which they represented are essential, but enhancing and beautifying the house of God provides its glory and radiance. That was left to the discretion of each person. So going back to this word, Beka, Bekha, uh, is spelled Beit Kaf, and the gematria of that is 22. And so that is an, another allusion to the foundation of the temple Bekha, the gematria being 22 there's 22 letters in, in the Hebrew alphabet and all those letters make up the Torah It also is the ineffable name of Hashem, which no one knows how to say. So he's laying the foundation from the get-go. It's me, it's the Torah, it's every single letter that makes up the Torah, and it's my name that you can't even speak. That's what we're going to start with. And so that alone right there is enough. (laughs) It's amazing. So Bechah is is just a beautiful word uh, to say, I am the foundation. So, what struck me about this whole part here, um, and I'm gonna go back to Ram Khal, is the makeup of the tabernacle itself. We know that it is uh, another illusion to the makeup of our bodies uh, when we start with, with the intellect, and uh, you know, we've got the limbs, we've got the table of showbread, we've got the altar, which is the Holy of Holies, which is the, the neshama of us. All this representing the parts of the body. Uh, Ram Kahl talks about it this way. The four colored materials donated to the mishkan, turquoise, purple, scarlet, and linen correspond to the four colors of fluids in the body. And he speaks of the blood, the phlegm, and I'm thinking I'm pronouncing that right. It's P-H-L-E-G-M phlegon, yellow, which is the green bile and black bile. Just as a person is comprised of skin, flesh, sinews and bones, the mishkan was comprised of wooden boards corresponding to bones and three lower coverings corresponding to sinews, flesh and skin. The fourth and final covering corresponding to the clothing which is placed over the body all of the donations mentioned formed the Mishkan, which served as the physical body in which the Shekinah, the Neshama of the world resided after descending to this physical world. When a person dies, the Neshama removes itself from the body and returns to the spiritual realms. When the B'n'ai Israel sinned, the Shekinah retreated to the spiritual realms. The, the body, the Beit Hamidash remained and was destroyed. Um, I wanna talk about the covering and this, uh, over the, the entire thing. Uh, I saw a comment yesterday that, uh, that Shlomo uh, made, I think uh, actually, I think it was Dr. J that had mentioned uh, about uh, the Yerzit of, of uh, Moshe, but this was also the, the time when he was born. Um, the covering. And it talks about the t- t- the takash skin, and the takash was a an animal. Uh, some say it was a unicorn. Uh, I've read some things on that, but the bottom line is: is this was a, a specific animal for this specific person, created for this specific reason. And this animal skin was was so colored and was so beautiful, and it hasn't existed since. And it reminded me of the. Uh, of the Leviathan, which we will one day be covered in when we sit in our boots. Uh, it talks about its skin being a beautiful, radiant lights. Um, and when the, when the light shines on it, how, how radiant it will be. But I was thinking about this covering uh, that is over the that was put over the Mishkan by this one animal and the beautiful colors that, that were a part of its skin. And it made me think of the coat of many colors, right? And so when Shlomo made this comment yesterday and there's one word and he said, resurrection. And that's what it made me think of that uh, it, there will be a resurrection, the resurrection of the temple, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the body of, of, uh, of Hashem, uh, so to speak, uh, the resurrection of, of Yeshua. So now I am in the Midrash Rabbah and this is just such a beautiful uh, insights here of what Hashem has actually done for us, and really shows how much He loves us. So this is chapter thirty-three, Siman one of Parsha Teruma. Mm-hmm. It starts out, and let them take for me a portion. The Midrash expounds on the verse's expression, and to let them take for me a portion. This is to be understood in light of what is written. For I have given you a good teaching. Do not forsake my Torah. And that is Proverbs 4.2. This verse means do not forsake the acquisition, the mikach that I have given you, namely the Torah. And why is the Torah referred to as a good acquisition? because sometimes there is a person who purchases an acquisition that contains gold, but does not contain silver. Or sometimes it contains silver, but does not contain gold. However, God says, the acquisition that I have given you, the Torah, contains silver, as it were, as it is stated. The words of Hashem are pure words like purified silver. Tehillim 12.7, and it also contains gold as it were. As it is stated concerning the words of the Torah, there are more desirable than gold than even much fine gold, and that is also Tehillim 19.11. The Midrash continues explaining why the Torah is such a good acquisition. Sometimes there is a person who requires fields, but not orchards. Or sometimes he acquires orchards, but not fields. However, God says this acquisition that I have given you, the Torah, contains both fields and orchards, as it were. As it is stated, "You watered fields." Your watered fields, slika. Your watered fields are an orchard of pomegranates, with precious fruits, henna with nard. And that's Shir Hashirim 4.13. The Midrash continues in its comparison of the Torah to a good acquisition. Sometimes there is a person who purchases an acquisition and other people do not know what the value of it is. But from the payment made to the broker, it becomes known what the value of it is. And I'm going to read uh, from the insights down here up to this statement I just made. Uh, it says, for an insignificant deal, a broker will charge a small fee, but for brokering a substantial transaction, he will receive a large payment. So this is how you'll know how great the value is from, from noticing how the broker is responding, right? So too, regarding the Torah, no one would know what the true value of it is, but for the payment made to Moshe. As it is stated, when Moshe descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in the hands of Moshe as he descended from the mountain, Moshe did not know that the skin of his face had become radiant when he had spoken to him. And that's Shemot thirty-four twenty-nine. Continuing on. The Midrash explains another aspect in which the acquisition of the Torah is termed a good acquisition. Now, is there any acquisition in which the seller himself sold along with the acquired item? Let me repeat that. Now, is there any acquisition in which the seller himself is sold along with the acquired item? Yet in this case, the holy one blessed is he said to Israel in effect, I sold you my Torah. And as it were, I myself was sold along with it. As it is stated and let them take for me a portion which can also be translated. And this is beautiful. And let them take me comma, a portion. Selah, and let them take me, a portion. The Midrash elucidates by means of a parable the concept of being, of God being sold, as it were, along with the Torah. This can be illustrated by a parable. It can be compared to a king who had an only daughter. One of the other kings came and took her as a wife. Subsequently, he sought to return to his land and to take his wife with him. The father in law king said to him, My daughter, whom I have given you, is an only daughter. Thus, I am unable to part from her. But I am equally unable to tell you do not take her to your land, for she is your wife. Rather, do this favor for me. Any place that you go, Prepare a room for me so that I may dwell near you. For I am unable to leave my daughter. The parable is explained. So too did the Holy One, blessed as he say to Israel, I have given you the Torah. I am unable to part from it, but I am also unable to tell you, do not take it. Rather, do this favor for me. Any place that you go, prepare a house for me that I may dwell therein. As it is stated later in our chapter, they shall make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. <laughs> wow. I mean, if that's not a beautiful love letter written to us by Hashem, I mean, that is just that is just so amazing to me. Um, so I was... Uh, I was thinking too, after reading of all this, I uh, I listened to a teaching last week, or not last week, I'm sorry, uh, back in, in uh, Parsha Beshalach, uh, a teaching from a rabbi by the name of uh, Moshe Nu, and uh, his last name is spelled just like the word, N-E-W, and he was teaching on the Malaba Malka. And the reason I bring this up is because, again, the temple being uh, an an allusion to the body as well as our bodies, uh, it just it it just stood out. Uh, It was just so profound. And as I was studying this Torah portion, I went back to that and I was listening to it over again. Uh, By the way, it's on Chabad and I can send that link later on. Uh, I'm a little technically challenged sometimes, so uh, I'll have to maybe get someone else to do it, but (laughs) I'll, I'll do my best. But anyway, he was explaining about the Malava Malka meal. And what he was saying about the two breads and the two loaves of bread. So let me see if I can do this quickly. I've got a few minutes. Okay. so what he was explaining was the two loaves and how it relates to Shabbat. And so there's a blessing when we're bringing in the Sabbath and there's a blessing after the Sabbath has left and in between is the sanctity. So B'nai Israel would go out on Friday morning and collect two loaves. And, And we're all familiar with this, but here's the thing, they would start eating the first loaf from their morning meal on Friday. And that is the blessing. And when they reached Arab Shabbat, they were still feeding on that loaf. And so now comes the sanctity portion. So the blessing started Friday morning, Friday afternoon, whenever they would have their first meal, into approaching and coming into the Sabbath. Then the sanctity would reign. But now remember, they had two loaves. So then they would start eating the second loaf on Shabbat proper. And so they would have that meal. And then later they would have uh, the third meal. But wait, there's a fourth meal that they would have because they still had to eat later on that evening, because they weren't going to collect again until Yom Shishi, until Sunday morning. So the bread was still left. And so here's the blessing after. So we've had blessing, then we had sanctity, and then we have blessing again. Now, my wife and I, we started doing this here recently. uh, And I had a a situation come up here uh, recently as well that that I wasn't able, or we weren't able to do the Malaba Malka, uh, it's, uh, we had some some uh, uh, plans, we had already made plans, uh, and so when this time came and we didn't do it, I, I, I felt so jealous over it, I, I just, I, I, it was such a heartfelt tug that I wanted to be doing this, but it's okay, so. Now we're back to doing it again. And I'm telling you, when you do this, it's amazing because this is what carries the blessing of Shabbat into the next six days until we reach Shabbat again. Or until Friday morning when when we've already started to receive the blessing once again. So my point being is, as this uh, rabbi was teaching about this, he also brought up the fact of the loose and the loose bone sits at the base of the neck at the very top, which interestingly enough, when we meant with tefillin on, there's a knot that sits at the back of your neck. And it's in the shape of a dalet, which dollet? the, the uh, pictorial uh, for the dalet is a door. OK, so the allusion to that is what did Yeshua say? I, I stand at the door and not. So from from the head to the heart, from the intellect to the heart, there's a doorway and that sits at the base of your neck. So anyway, this loose bone that sits there is a bone that cannot be destroyed, even even after death. The rest of your bones will return to dust as the rest of the body will as well, but the loose bone does does not fade away, it is not destroyed. So he went on to tell of a uh, man who survived the Holocaust. Uh, He was a teenager at the time during the Holocaust. And on uh, at least one occasion, I don't know of how regular he would be called to do this, but at least on one occasion, uh, one of his uh, duties that day was to go and clean out the uh, cretorium. And so as he was doing this, he noted what seemed to be at the time he thought uh, pebbles of rock. But as it turns out, it was all the loose bones that were left from those who had went into the incinerator. So he goes on to explain that this this loose bone only is nourished through the meal, the Malava Malfa meal. And what we're doing is when we're when we're bringing in Shabbat, we're we're ushering in the bride. Then she becomes the queen during Shabbat, and then so we're actually sending the queen off because she's saddened too because now she's being removed from her throne and going out into the next six days with us and so she's saddened too but but we're rejoicing because the queen is coming out with us and we're blessing her and may she be with us for the next six days so he goes on to explain that during the time of Adam and Chava had they not sinned by eating from the fruit of the forbidden tree, uh, they would have went right into the messianic era, but because they did sin and we know the story, but in Hashem's supreme wisdom uh, and his sovereignty, this happened, okay? He allowed this to happen, but it said that when they partook of that the only bone that did not participate in the eating of that fruit was when it went through their body was the loose bone so when we take partake of the meal of the malava malcolm meal we're actually nourishing that loose bone and this is what is going to uh, when the revivification of the dead takes place uh, we now know through science better now that the molecular structure of when something decomposes, it doesn't disappear. It it disappears, but it does not cease to exist. Okay, if I said that correctly. Uh, So basically everything is going to come back to that lis bone and restructure itself. And that's what's gonna happen during the revivification of the dead. So as I was listening to that, I listened to another one for Parashal and This rabbi was uh, explaining something similar, but he was explaining about the building of the Mishkan, And specifically he was explaining the, the Holy Temple. And what it said, what he said was too, was that we know that the Holy Temple was built in a specific place set with a specific stone. And that stone still exists. The rest of the body has been scattered. We don't know where the, the Holy Ark is. We don't know where the menorah sits. We don't know where the Shulkan is. I mean, there's people out there. I mean, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? People you know, claim to know uh, or, or there's things that have been out there that have been said where they might be, but we don't know for certain. But the temple sets on this tiny stone and one day everything will come and be attracted back to that place when the third temple rises. Another thing I thought of was when Yeshua, let me see, well, I've got it on my phone. I don't want uh, mess with that because I may just mess up the whole thing. <laughs> but what did Yeshua say when he was driving out all the money changers from the temple when he was there for the Pesach festival and was so upset? And they questioned him and said, by what authority do you? You know, give us a sign and let us know by what authority you say these things to us. And he said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will rise, raise it back up. Well, we know the story of Yeshua rising. Baruch Hashem. And that's all true. But the third temple will rise on the third day. We're, we're 2000 years into it. OK, somewhere in that, that realm. We are entering and we are in now the time where we should be celebrating the Malaba Malchim meal because the temple will rise again soon. The third temple will come and it will be on that third day, uh, which will be actually the seventh day. And we will enter into the millennia, the messianic, uh, the messianic reign. Uh, and so Baruch Hashem, we're getting much closer to it every day. Uh, I think that is it. I think I covered everything I meant to, uh, to bring today. Hopefully that uh, everyone was blessed and uh, have a blessed week. Don't forget. Oh, let, let me just also say this, uh, and, and you can find some teachings on it, but what we should do is we should have the table set for the Malava Malka meal, and you are okay to go ahead and light candles. Obviously, the, the, the uh, Sabbath is is over, And so we have begun now to light candles. Uh, We will listen to Hasidic stories as we eat. So there's a little planning involved because, especially during these winter hours when the days are much shorter, so there's a lot of eating going on. But if if we do it uh, if strategically planned uh, after after you'll be ready to eat again and hopefully enjoy. But there's there's teachings on that that we can put out later. Okay. Well. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Amen.